This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In 1917, tens of thousands of people watched as the sun arced and dipped through the sky before it dried the area's water and bathed a field in shifting colors of lights. Was this a divine miracle, or was it one of history's first mass UFO sightings? If you enjoyed these episodes, you should check out our entire catalog of extraterrestrial episodes, as well as our Unexplained Mysteries podcast. You can listen to both of these shows free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. In early 2010, a group of about two dozen reporters and photographers gathered at the Vatican. A Catholic official led them past Swiss Guard and Gendarmerie, then down an ancient elevator to the heavily guarded archives below ground. The 53 miles worth of shelves was typically only accessible to a select few people, devout scholars who had undergone a strict vetting process but in 2010, for the first time in history, the Vatican was granting tours of their 400-year-old archives. Thanks to Dan Brown's hit 2003 conspiracy novel, The Da Vinci Code, the public was eager to learn what secrets the church held. In order to maintain their privacy while catering to these cultural demands, the Vatican invited journalists to a handful of curated tours through the underground trove. The once-in-a-lifetime tour included the chance to review records, artifacts, and a millennia's worth of knowledge. While the tour could never cover the full 35,000-volume catalog, Reporters and photographers viewed select documents, including letters exchanged between various popes and Charlemagne, Mozart, and Adolf Hitler. But it soon became clear to everyone that their guide was avoiding certain portions of the archives. When the journalists asked, the guide admitted that those areas were forbidden to them. He went on to explain that some of the records were personally embarrassing to specific members of the clergy, including reports of scandalous sexual affairs. The press accepted this explanation, and the tour continued on. Of course, the truth was potentially far stranger. 
the archives contained secrets more interesting than sexual scandals. They contained proof of extraterrestrial life. Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial, a ParCast original. I'm Tim. And I'm Bill. You can find all episodes of Extraterrestrial and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Extraterrestrial for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Extraterrestrial in the search bar. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world. We're aware that some of these tales may seem completely unbelievable. Others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology. And each story has garnered thousands, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our second episode on The Miracle of the Sun, which took place on October 13th, 1917. On that day, Tens of thousands of witnesses near Fatima, Portugal, saw the sun dart across the sky and bathe the air in shifting colors for about 10 minutes, beginning at 2 p.m. Last week, we told the story of 10-year-old shepherdess Lucia Abobara. She received a visitation from a being she called the Little Lady, who returned on the 13th of every month for six months culminating with the miracle of the sun. This week, we'll explore the long-term fallout of the solar phenomenon, including the efforts of the Catholic Church to silence and then to control the narrative around the miracle. We'll explore whether the Vatican is involved in an alien cover-up and weigh some alternate explanations for the events in Fatima in 1917. In late 1917, 10-year-old Lucia Abobara experienced what she believed to be a divine revelation. She announced that at noon on October 13th, the Little Lady, a divine being linked to the Virgin Mary, would appear and perform an irrefutable miracle. At 2 o'clock that afternoon, Tens of thousands of witnesses saw the clouds part and the sun, or some other bright orb, descend from the sky. The silver disk's heat dried all of the rainwater from earlier that day, and it arced across the sky in a seemingly impossible path. Many of the witnesses and the reporters who covered the phenomenon identified it as a divine revelation. But secular alien enthusiasts have given a different explanation. It was a visitor from another planet. It can be difficult to examine the evidence firsthand. 
In the weeks and months after the miracle of the sun, authorities from the Vatican collected eyewitness statements, sketches, and maybe even photographs, but they hid the records away in their secret archives. Today, these two interpretations offer wildly different perspectives on the event. The variation could be attributed to cultural or generational differences, but some conspiracy theorists believe that the Catholic Church was complicit in a cover-up of one of history's most widely witnessed alien sightings. In the days and weeks after the so-called miracle of the sun, personal testimony swept through the Portuguese countryside. Within months, Fatima had become a major destination for religious pilgrims. Officials began derisively referring to the worship there as the cult of Our Lady of Fatima. At the center of the religious movement were Lucia Abobora and her cousins Francisco and Jacinta, the only eyewitnesses to the lady's many appearances. According to Lucia and her cousins, the little lady was a three-foot-tall, bald being with black eyes. She wore an immodest knee-length skirt. She always appeared surrounded by light and could communicate without opening her mouth. Naturally, the church didn't appreciate the children's testimonies. Their stories were too different from Orthodox theology. Possibly, they feared that if the public began digging too deeply into Lucia's story, they might stop seeing the visitation as religious and start thinking about alien life. The Catholic Church, eager to test the rumors, immediately dispatched investigators to determine if the miracle of the sun was a divine manifestation, a demonic apparition, or merely a hoax. One such investigator was Father Manuel Formigao, who had already spent a month before the miracle of the sun questioning Lucia. By late 1917, he was thoroughly convinced of the truth of her story. Although he sent his credulous testimony back to the Vatican, the Catholic Church continued to treat the event with suspicion. Fatima-based priests and bishops encouraged the locals to stay silent about what they'd seen, presumably under orders from higher officials. As for the investigators' reports, they were locked away in a secret archive. For decades, the only official and public accounts of the Miracle of the Sun were the sparse stories printed in newspapers. The Catholic Church's attempts to stifle testimony made little sense, especially in light of the political situation at the time in Portugal. As a secular government passed legislation designed to weaken the Church's power, the Vatican needed a miracle to inspire its Portuguese followers. The Catholic leadership's reluctance to embrace the miracle of the sun has led many to believe that the so-called miracle was, in fact, something even more mysterious. Officials bade Lucia and her cousins to keep quiet about what they'd seen, but the children would not be silenced. At least, not until a flu epidemic swept through Fatima in 1919. All three children grew sick, and nine-year-old Francisco succumbed to the illness. He died on April 3, 1919. His older sister, Jacinta, initially seemed to recover, 
only for the ailment to return the following spring. Jacinta died in February 1920, just a month before her 10th birthday. Her passing left Lucia as the only surviving witness who had actually seen and spoken with the little lady. At the time, the church was still doing everything it could to stem the increasingly popular cult of the Lady of Fatima. On June 17, 1921, to keep 14-year-old Lucia away from the growing throng of worshipers, the Bishop of Ladia encouraged her to enroll in schooling at a convent in Porto, Portugal. She gladly complied. She departed Fatima alone, leaving behind her friends, family, and local supporters. When she arrived at the convent, she learned that she'd also have to abandon her identity. Eager to prevent Lucia from spreading unfortunate rumors throughout the convent, the Mother Superior ordered her to tell no one what she'd experienced. When prompted, Lucia was to claim that her name was Maria das Dores and that she was from Lisbon. Lucia did as she was instructed. For several years, she disappeared into the convent life. But meanwhile, the story of the little lady and the miracle of the sun continued to spread through Portugal. The movement grew until a shrine was erected over the home oak tree in Covada area, and pilgrims reported they'd witnessed a steady stream of miracles there. The church ceased trying to stop the stories and began to control which details were shared. The little lady's otherworldly appearance was downplayed, and testimony that supported a traditional depiction of the Virgin Mary proliferated. That news never reached Lucia. She wasn't permitted to speak to the public, nor could she read newspapers or meet with visitors. All of Lucia's letters to and from her family were censored. Her world shrank to what she experienced within the convent walls. In 1925, 18-year-old Lucia formally entered training to become a nun. Because of the secular Portuguese government's strict restrictions on Catholic institutions, Lucia had to transfer to Tui, Spain to receive instruction. As had been the case in Porto, Lucia's keepers in Tui also maintained her strict seclusion. She wasn't even permitted to write to her mother anymore. Perhaps the threat that she'd contradict the official church story was just too high. But it was becoming increasingly difficult for the church to hide the truth about the growing cult of Fatima. A statue of the little lady was even erected inside the convent. In order to prevent Lucia from seeing it, her movements on the school grounds were restricted. Although she'd ostensibly entered the training willingly, she was treated like a dangerous prisoner. This is consistent with other stories of alien cover-ups. Since 1947, alien contactees have reported on governmental efforts to silence witnesses, often using agents dubbed the Men in Black. While the Vatican doesn't have their own men in black that we know of, they had their own silencing tactics. And in the 1920s, they may have felt it was easier to keep Lucia quiet by removing her from the wider world altogether. 
All the while, investigators working for the church questioned witnesses and gathered evidence related to the little lady's appearances and the miracle of the sun. As had been the case for other previous investigators, they found airtight testimony confirming that the miracle of the sun had played out as the witnesses claimed. In October 1930, the bishop of the Fatima Archdiocese and the investigatory committee released a joint statement saying, We hereby declare, worthy of belief, the visions of the shepherd children in the Covadairia parish of Fatima and permit officially the cult of Our Lady of Fatima. The church finally recognized the events as a miracle, but they continued to keep Lucia locked away. It seems that even after they acknowledged the miracles, the church saw Lucia's firsthand testimony as threatening. It's possible that because Lucia's story was more consistent with alien sightings than with Catholic tradition, they were determined to silence her. Finally, in 1928, a visiting priest realized that Lucia hadn't heard about the formally endorsed worship at Fatima. He decided that he had a duty to tell her the truth. He didn't clear his choice with the mother superior, but instead met with the girl in secret. Lucia listened to the story without surprise. When the priest finished his account, she said, I thought it would be like that. Shortly thereafter, she committed herself as a nun. The official records suggest she did this because the little lady ordered her to commit her life to God, but those stories come from the church itself. It is likely that Lucia experienced significant institutional pressure. Even in the convent, she was forbidden to speak to anyone about her role in the miracle of the sun or of what she'd seen firsthand. For the rest of her adult life, Lucia remained in seclusion. If she truly could have confirmed that the little lady was an alien, she was forbidden from sharing that testimony. And by maintaining their strong grip on Lucia, the church ensured that no one would ever learn the otherworldly truth of what happened during the miracle of the sun. Up next, we'll continue to tell Lucia's story and explore some efforts to debunk supernatural explanations of her miracle. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now... Back to the story. On October 13, 1917, tens of thousands of witnesses watched as the sun 
danced across the sky, zigzagging toward the earth and bathing the air in multicolored lights. Although some interpret the event as a UFO sighting, the Catholic Church recognized the event as a miracle in October 1930. But they continued to hide much of the concrete evidence of the miracle of the sun for over a century afterward, possibly to cover up the existence of aliens. Also hidden was 23-year-old Lucia Abobara, the shepherdess and seer who'd initially made contact with the otherworldly little lady. At some point during her time in the convent, most likely in the mid-1930s or later, Lucia revealed that she'd received a set of three secrets or prophecies from the little lady on July 13, 1917, three months before the miracle of the sun. Though it was now over a decade later, this was the first time she had ever mentioned them. As we go through each of these prophecies, it will become clear that it's entirely possible that Lucia or the church made them up after the fact. Nevertheless, they remain an intriguing chapter in the story. She wrote down her first prophecy at some point between the late 1930s or early 1940s. The date is difficult to determine given that the text wasn't publicly released until August 31, 1941. All of her statements, including the texts of her prophecies, passed through the Vatican and were carefully managed before their release. Lucia's first prophecy was that World War I would end, only for World War II to erupt soon after. We'll note that Lucia wrote this prophecy either during the immediate lead-up to or right after World War II began. Although she was sequestered in a convent, Lucia was almost certainly aware of major world events at the time. Lucia's second prophecy warned of the danger of a godless communist regime that would sweep through the Christian world and destroy all moral goodness. She predicted that the regime would fall, freeing the people of God to convert the unchurched communist masses. But if the people rejected God, the evil empire would rise again. Once more, Lucia didn't reveal the text of this prophecy until it was seemingly already fulfilled in 1941, after Nazi Germany invaded Soviet Russia. We'll also note that Lucia's writings suggested she supported the Nazi government. She seemed to believe that the USSR, with its secular government, was a major threat to Christianity worldwide. When Hitler invaded Russia, Lucia saw him as fulfilling God's will. This obviously casts further doubt on her divine point of view. Lucia's final prophecy was publicly released in 1957. She described a group of holy clergy in white who climbed a tall mountain only to die in a hail of bullets and arrows. The prophecy included detailed descriptions of the clergy members falling to their knees in death. The Vatican later claimed that this secret was fulfilled two decades later when a would-be assassin tried and failed to kill Pope John Paul II. Of course, the public struggled to connect the attempt with the prophecy, and the church had to explain the tenuous connections between the two. The Pope survived the attack and was in his car at the time, meaning he never fell to his knees. 
the actual attempted assassination was also not on a tall mountain. Nevertheless, the church maintains to this day that the assassination attempt fulfilled Lucia's third prophecy. Skeptics had good cause to doubt the validity of these prophecies. Because they weren't publicly released until after the events had come to pass, many suspected that Lucia made them up as she went along. Lucia, however, always maintained that she was divinely prevented from revealing the prophecies until the moment was right. It was almost like she had little lady-induced amnesia. In Lucia's defense, this kind of memory loss is a common trait of alien encounters. As Joaquim Fernandez and Fina Darmada explained in their book, Celestial Secrets, Alien contactees often experience telepathic communication from aliens, sometimes accompanied by partial amnesia. Lucia's two-decade gap between the time she initially saw her visions and the time she shared them could be explained if her visitor implanted the prophecies but hid them in her mind until the time was right. Interestingly, the third secret was the only one revealed publicly before it was fulfilled. But this text is the least similar to any real events. And Lucia never weighed in on her own opinion as to whether the prophecy had truly been fulfilled. Even as the decades passed, Lucia never made a public appearance outside the convent. Assuming the church believed in her holy visions, it was strange for them to regulate her so strictly unless the truth was too dangerous for them to let out. On several occasions in the late 20th century, Lucia was granted permission to speak to researchers and the press regarding the miracle of the sun and the visions she saw prior to it. But once again, her testimony was heavily reviewed. Her interviews were primarily with devout Catholics who were already inclined to believe the church's version of events. And in the decades after the miracle of the sun, the Catholic stance was the predominant attitude toward the event. That version of the story allowed no opportunity for extraterrestrial interpretations. That is, until 1978. That year, Joaquim Fernandez and Fina Darmada were granted access to the Vatican's secret archives on the Miracle of the Sun, although it's unclear why this was permitted. The Church has since denied cooperation with the pair. As Fernandez and Darmada reviewed firsthand statements from dozens of eyewitnesses, they noted several similarities between the Miracle of the Sun and more contemporary UFO sightings. In fact, a lot of the theories we've discussed in these episodes came from Fernandez and Darmada's observations. They noted that the little lady looked more like an alien than like the Virgin Mary, and that the sun's movement during the miracle of the sun closely matched that of a UFO. The more Fernandez and Darmada read, the more convinced they became that the miracle of the sun was alien in origin. They published their findings only for the Catholic Church to condemn their claims. But the public, especially the atheists and agnostics eager for a non-deistic explanation for the event, latched on to the theory. As for Lucia, the woman at the center of the story who could have addressed these claims firsthand, she never publicly commented on Fernandez and Darmada's book in the quarter century after it was published. 
On February 13, 2005, Lucia died just five weeks shy of her 98th birthday. Mourners poured into Coimbra's convent to pray over her body. In February 2017, roughly a century after the miracle of the sun, Lucia was beatified, a process that includes publicly celebrating the deceased with a series of worship services. This is the first step in the Catholic Church's canonization process to become a saint. Lucia's ceremony in Cova da Iria featured a mass and several choral performances. But outside the church, not everyone believed that Lucia was a prophetess or a seer. In recent decades, skeptics have presented other explanations for the event that didn't rely on either the extraterrestrial or the divine. A popular theory suggests that the miracle of the sun has a psychological explanation, such as mass hysteria or a shared hallucination. This is a scenario where a highly susceptible crowd imagines the same delusion. A leader may guide the experience, or the individuals experiencing it could influence one another. One such mass hallucination was a 1561 sighting of a series of lights and colors in the sky over Nuremberg. That event has been alternatively described as either a result of public anxiety or a genuine alien spacecraft sighting. According to this theory, Lucia may have coldly and intentionally guided the crowd's faux vision. It's also possible that the witnesses, primed for a miracle, worked themselves up to the hallucination all by themselves. But hallucinations aren't the only logical counter-explanation. Skeptical paranormal investigator Joe Nickel suggested that the witnesses saw a sun dog. A sun dog, also called a mock sun or parhelion, occurs when microscopic ice crystals in the atmosphere refract the solar light, creating an artificial halo around the sun. This halo often consists of smaller orbs that can look like miniature suns of their own. This is a common explanation for many reported UFO sightings. Fatima was drenched in heavy rains in the hours leading up to the miracle of the sun. All of the witnesses agreed that until roughly two o'clock in the afternoon, the sky was cloudy and overcast, meaning the conditions were ripe for the moist air to refract sunlight and create the effect. August Miesen of the Catholic University of Louvain had a different but still scientifically based explanation. The sun didn't appear in the sky at all, but physically inside the eyes of every witness. As a reminder, right up until the moment the miracle of the sun occurred, the skies over Fatima were overcast with heavy rain clouds. At two o'clock p.m., when the clouds parted, Lucia shouted, Look at the sun. Staring directly at the sun can cause eye damage, including retinal afterimages, in which the figure of the star is temporarily seared on the eye's receptors. This means the viewer will see the sun at the center of their vision, even when they look in another direction. In this case, the witnesses could have seen the sun following the path of their gazes, seemingly bouncing through the sky. Retinal damage could also account for the other strange visions witnesses saw that day. 
the changing colors in the air and the skies shift from bright to dim. Misen also considered the witnesses outside of Fatima and suggested that their sightings discredited any UFO theory. Any spaceship large enough to be viewed from miles away would have been noticed by one of the region's observatories. As we noted in last week's episode, observatories detailed no unexpected phenomena on October 13, 1917. What's interesting about Meeson's theory is that he spoke as a representative of a Catholic university, and yet he rejected the divinity of the miracle of the sun. But he also emphasized that the event was definitely not extraterrestrial in nature. His surprising statement was consistent with a century of evidence suggesting that the Catholic Church isn't just resistant to the idea of intelligent alien life, they're actively covering it up. Up next, we'll explore some more alternative explanations and weigh how credible we find this story. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now back to the story. On October 13, 1917, a crowd of tens of thousands witnessed the sun's strange dance and plummet from the sky. In the century since, Catholics and skeptics alike have struggled to explain the phenomenon. Two of the top competing theories are that the event was a real miracle or that it was an alien spaceship sighting. Adding fuel to the conspiracy theories, the Church has spent a century controlling the narrative of the miracle of the sun and erasing all the evidence that feels alien in nature. Does that suggest that the Vatican is part of a larger alien conspiracy? The Catholic Church would say no. Since October 1930, their official stance has been that Lucia and the other witnesses received a genuinely divine visitation from the Virgin Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. In the centuries since the miracle of the sun, Fatima has become a major destination for pilgrims from around the world. 
a shrine to the Lady of Fatima, was constructed in 1919, near the same spot that Lucia reported the little lady appeared half a dozen times. This shrine has proved a boon to the local economy. And of course, the ongoing services and signs of devotion ensured that the Catholic Church could maintain its power and influence in the region. Today, more than 80% of Portugal's population identifies as Catholic. In other words, the church isn't exactly unbiased in their stance. In fact, according to this theory, the church lied to the people of Fatima and spent the next century ensuring that no one ever realized the truth. That brings us to the question of why? If the Vatican had concrete proof of the existence of aliens, why would they go to such lengths to keep that evidence a secret? The clearest explanation we've come across is that Catholic theology is incompatible with intelligent life on other planets. The Church has a history of shutting down new scientific discoveries that threaten a traditional biblical worldview. The most famous such example is their persecution of Galileo, the scientist who demonstrated that the Earth revolves around the Sun after the Church preached the inverse. Conspiracy theorists today feel that because the Bible doesn't allude to life on other planets, aliens are an enemy to the faith. The existence of an otherworldly society that doesn't share Christian values may lead many on Earth to question their own beliefs. In order to prevent a spiritual crisis, the Vatican instead covers up the discomforting evidence. But Brother Guy Consolmagno doesn't buy that explanation. He's the director of the Vatican Observatory, a church-sponsored program that hopes to advance humanity's understanding of the universe by observing the far reaches of outer space. In an interview with Vox, Brother Consolmagno shared his thoughts on the perceived tension between faith and extraterrestrial life, saying, You know, we've already got passages of scripture that say we're not the only intelligent thing made by God. That's already built into the system. Religion never wanted to say that human beings were the center of the universe. And he's not the only one who feels that way. Jesuit priest Jose Funes, another worker at the Vatican Observatory, gave a statement saying that there was room within Catholic theology for life on other planets. The Archdiocese of Baltimore quoted him saying, if we consider earthly creatures as brothers and sisters, why can't we also speak of an extraterrestrial brother? In spite of these statements, many still suggest that the church is actively covering up the existence of aliens. But an even simpler explanation is that Lucia, or even the Catholic Church itself, were involved in a hoax. There are certainly holes in Lucia's testimony, like her dubious secret prophecies. We should note that many of the written accounts of the Miracle of the Sun weren't recorded until years or decades after the event. So we can dismiss some of the later claims that weren't documented until much later. But only days after the event, news reports featured interviews with witnesses. And the testimony consistently had four core features. First, the sun dimmed enough that the crowd could look at it without hurting their eyes. Second, the solar light changed color, creating a rainbow effect in the field. Third, the sun ended its movements by plummeting toward the Earth. 
Again, it's unlikely the sun actually fell from the sky, but a descending spacecraft might give the appearance that it did. And finally, the rainwater instantly dried after the phenomenon was complete. Even if we throw out all other aspects of the testimony, these four features are consistent and well-documented among all the witnesses. And the event was viewed by thousands of people. The crowd was just too big for everyone to be in on the scam, although it is possible that some of the witnesses may have lied or exaggerated their claims out of a desire to be part of the miracle. The size of the crowd also undermines the theory that the miracle of the sun was a mass hallucination. Sociologist and author Robert Bartholomew noted that shared delusions are incredibly rare and only crop up in specific situations. In an article on one case titled, The Bizarre Outbreak of Hallucinations in Oregon, he wrote, such cases of shared social delusion are typically incubated in small, close-knit groups over a long period of time. But the group of pilgrims on October 13, 1917, was neither small nor close-knit. Most of the attendees had arrived in Fatima just that morning, meaning they weren't together for a long period of time beforehand either. That said, they did share one thing in common. They'd all been primed by the news reports of Lucia's predictions. For six months, Lucia had promised signs and wonders that worked her crowd to a fever pitch. They were eager and anxious to see a miracle performed. Except, of course, for the skeptics. Several attendees were only there specifically because they were convinced nothing would happen. They came hoping to disprove Lucia's prophecies. Those same skeptics included objective reporters from the state-sponsored newspapers O Seculo and Odia. They saw the miracle of the sun, and they all later agreed that they'd seen something inexplicable. Odia even reported, People wept and prayed with uncovered heads in the presence of a miracle they had awaited. The seconds seemed like hours, so vivid were they. Another such witness was the Baron of Alveazri. He'd studied crowd psychology and primed himself against being roped into a potential mass hallucination. In spite of his efforts, the Baron witnessed the miracle of the sun. It is possible that the witnesses saw an ordinary solar phenomenon like a sundog, or that they experienced retinal damage that caused them to hallucinate. But those explanations don't account for the instantly dried rainwater or the nearly identical visions the crowd shared with other individuals hundreds of miles from Fatima's home oak. In addition, sundogs are stationary, visible to the left and right of the sun. But most people in Fatima described the sun as zigzagging across the sky before it fell toward the earth. There are also problems with the retinal damage theory. Witness accounts were astonishingly consistent. Nearly everyone who saw strange solar movements agreed that the sun zigzagged and plunged to the earth. If the image of the sun was simply burned into their retinas, each of the tens of thousands of observers would have seen the sun travel in different paths depending on the movements of their own eyes. Finally, this explanation doesn't fully account for the eyewitnesses outside of Fatima, Portugal. Without any prompting from Lucia, 
it would take a pretty major coincidence for dozens of people in the surrounding countryside to look directly at the sun at exactly 2 o'clock p.m. and experience the exact same kind of retinal damage as the crowd in Fatima. In fact, any grounded and logical explanation for the phenomenon requires a highly unlikely set of coincidences. First, Lucia and her cousins would have to have lied about having visitations from an angel and later the little lady. As their story spread, more and more people testified to seeing lights and colors over Fatima's home old tree on July 13th, August 13th, and September 13th of 1917. These followers would also have to be lying or be caught up in a group hallucination triggered by Lucia's claims. Although she would have no way of predicting the meteorological conditions on October 13th, Lucia would have had to know that a sundog or something similar would appear. And through sheer luck, the high moisture content in the air would have to be perfect to create a sundog. That explanation is possible, unlikely, but possible. But in this case, it actually seems more likely that witnesses saw a phenomenon out of the norm, whether that was a UFO, a miracle from God, or something else entirely. All in all, we give the story of the miracle of the sun a 7 out of 10 on our believability scale. There are plenty of questionable parts of the narrative that leave us doubting Lucia's testimony, but the sheer number of witnesses suggests that the crowd in Fatima definitely saw something. Whatever it was, it left an indelible mark on the people of Portugal and on the history of the Catholic Church. Thanks for tuning in to Extraterrestrial. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Extraterrestrial and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Extraterrestrial, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Extraterrestrial on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Extraterrestrial in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler with sound design by Russell Nash and production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskin. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Travis Clark. This episode of Extraterrestrial was written by Angela Jorgensen and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson. 